Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Ultimate Life. Today, I'm excited. I have a special guest and it's kind of funny because I have this background with a dude sitting in the snow and she tells me that it's going to be 36, which is like 90 and humid where she is today. So good to have a snow background. Amanda Kate, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Kellen, for having me. It's just, I love your work, so I'm just honored to be here. Oh, you're just welcome. So I'm here to about talking about how to create the ultimate life. And, you know, there's so much hype about that in the the world about making money or about being happy or about all the rest of it. And I read your the stuff you submitted and thank you for all that. So how are you doing there in Australia land today? Doing really well. We waited a long time for summer to come. So we're actually quite happy that we've got some heat coming in because until about a week before Christmas, it was it was not great. Rainy and windy and stormy and all the rest. <laughs> a week before Christmas here, it was minus 30. So, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so uh, there's a way that I like to start these and it's yeah. just a question. And I don't have a, like a slate of questions. But this one I always use, and that is, I define creating your ultimate life as having a life of purpose, mm -hmm. prosperity, and joy that you create by serving with your divine gifts. How would Amanda Kate describe or define her ultimate life? I think it's not dissimilar to yours, just in different words. I think the more we can accept our divinity and accept our messiness, the more whole we can live as humans in this world and the more empathy and compassion and self-responsibility we have, which then, you know, radiates out to other people. And I think that is what makes a life absolutely beautiful. Um, a follow-up to that is, you know, you hear a lot of hype, coaches and transformation mm -hmm. gurus and everything running around talking about getting everything in life that you want and having everything. <laughs> My, and and uh, do you believe that it's possible to live that ultimate life every day or is that all just hype? Do you know, to be honest, even with certain areas of my life not being exactly where I want them, I am living my ultimate life. Every day I pinch myself that I'm living the life that I am. So it's a really interesting one. And even as you were asking the question, I could feel that sense of, let's call it, I am... 100% grateful for what I have. I see more magic and awe. And it's almost like the more work I do, the more I transform, the more I get in touch with that divine side of myself, and the more I accept all of the shadows within myself and come to terms with my humanity in its totality, the less I actually want and need to be happy. So I don't think it's necessarily that I... You know, I have a million bucks sitting in a bank account and I have, you know, I certainly don't have a Mercedes Benz in the driveway or any of that, but I don't want it and I don't need it. My life is almost being scaled back because I'm seeing the wonder, the awe and the gratitude in everything that comes into my life. 
Uh, I love that. I agree with you 100%. Sometimes people say, well, you say you don't need that stuff because you don't have it. But secretly, you really want it. What would you say to someone who says that? You you want the million, you want all this, and you're pretending you don't because you don't have it. And so, in, in other words, they're, they're trying to point out that it, it's hokey. So what would you say to that thought? <laughs> Do you know, I get, I actually unfollow a lot of coaches and healers and all the people in that kind of world because it is shaming people into this patriarchal capitalistic society that we're living in and the simplest things in life are for me the most magical and the most beautiful every day I walk my dog on the beach whether it is 36 degrees or whether it's nine degrees and blowing a gale and you know we've only got a meter of beach to walk on because the waves are all the way up and yet every day I'm so bloody grateful to be there I am, I, I pinch myself, even when I'm fighting and walking at an angle up the sand, I am still going, there's still nowhere else I'd rather be. And so I think it comes down to the happier you are within yourself, the less you need outside yourself. And so I would actually suggest to those people that perhaps they might want to go and do a little bit more diving and work because the materialistic stuff is absolute bullshit. And I, I, my old life in my marriage was constantly chasing that next rainbow. It was constantly chasing that next thing. And I always hated it because we were never able to be in the present and be with each other and be together because his mind was always off on the next big thing. And I found it miserable. And now I am living a beautiful life that I just wholeheartedly embrace and I have less money than before in so many ways. And I have a smaller car. I have so much less in terms of material stuff, but oh my God, happiness. So, so you said something, it, it wasn't even what you said, it was the way you said it mm -hmm. that I wanna explore. Mm. You said something about being grateful and the <sighs> way you said it was yeah. just so grateful, even if I've only got a meter of beach to walk on and I can't do the Aussie thing, okay? Yeah. I want you to describe to me, and I'll tell you why I'm asking you this after yeah. you answer the question. Why is that visceral explanation and experience of gratitude, or any other emotion for that mm. matter, but that visceral experience of gratitude where it flows through you, comes out of you, and mm. your heart chakra explodes, or however you want to say it. Like, why is that so important and so powerful? I used to be so disconnected from my body. And the biggest thing I love about not just, you know, the work I've done, but the work I do with my clients is it is about getting them back into their body. It is about reconnecting them to this physical vessel that we are moving through this earth on. Because so often we are putting our attention outside ourselves to the moving images and the noise and the lights and the dings on our phone and bloody everything else, that we're not turning inwards. We're not feeling what our body is telling us. And as we get more comfortable being in this human meat suit, the more we can feel what's going on around us. And as we can unpack all of those unresourceful behaviors and all of that 
shit that we've collected over the years and really tune into what's going on, learning to love ourselves, learning to love everything around us, the more easily we can actually be in this world and survive in this world and look for the beauty in this world. I used to be trained. I would walk on that beach and I'd be like, what am I here for? Like, this is just miserable. And you feel that in your body too. But now because I'm training myself to look for everything that is wonderful, guess what I'm seeing? Everything that's wonderful. Where that oh comes my from God, is yeah. when I try to teach people a little bit about gratitude and mm. affirmations, it really comes from the idea of people starting with affirmations. And I mm. say affirmations for the most part are saying things you don't believe and you hope that by continued repetition, you can talk <laughs> yeah. yourself into them, right? Mm -hmm. You don't believe them and you think if you say them fast enough or loud enough, you'll somehow talk oh, no. yourself into it. <laughs> and, and some people so, use a rampage of appreciation where they list everything in the universe that they're oh, grateful for. Yeah. And I tell them to do what you do, which is I say, slow down and pick one thing and have it be your experience until you actually experience in your mm -hmm. body the sensation of gratitude. Yeah. And do that with one or two things yeah. and explore that. And that's where that's what came in my mind as you described mm. your gratitude walk on the beach. And I'm thinking, this is exactly that because we are so busy with all those other stimulating but nonsensical externalities that we miss the point. And when we look at that gratitude list, how many people have on there the things that they have? It's, it's, a, it's a list of, well, you know, I've got a car, I'm grateful for my car. I've got, you know, a lot of the time it comes down to the material things that they have in their life that they're grateful for. And yeah, it's nice to be grateful for that. But for me, it's about that connection and relationship and, and whether that be connection and relationship to nature or connection and relationship to the people around me, that's to me the crux of it. And they've actually done research around it that's only recently come out about the fact that being grateful for other people and having them reciprocate that gratitude for you is actually the most powerful gratitude practice you can do. Fabulous, fabulous. Now, so when we're born as infants, like we don't have a lot of the baggage that we create, and we go through this uh, disease-producing socialization process <laughs> to learn to attach to things and external judgments and all the rest, and we might talk more about that later. But then, when you, you know, hit a wall or have some other thing that bashes into you and mm -hmm. wakes you up, you have to go through a, a decontamination process, for lack of a better yeah, de <laughs> Yeah, yeah, delousing. So t tell me what happened so that you went from, what am I doing on this beach with, in such crappy mm -hmm. weather, to being delighted to feel each kernel of sand under your toes and each irreverent tug of the dog on the lead. What <laughs> happened to Amanda Kate to get you there? I don't think anyone gets to that stage of, I guess, awakening. I'll use that term. I don't really like it, but We'll use it because it's what people use and there's not really the language to describe a lot of this. So sometimes I find it really hard because we have to find 3D language to describe so much bigger concepts. 
Mm-hmm. But for me, it was, it really was that massive smack that came when I realized that I was in a toxic, abusive relationship, that my children deserved better, that I deserved better, that my ex-husband deserved better. And even in that process of leaving the marriage where I was being abused every day, I was still praying for me to find the kind of love I deserved and my ex-husband to find the kind of love he deserved as we moved forward in our future. And there was something in that realization that felt different in my body. And so I guess I've looked for those things that give me that internal feeling of, oh, that's different to what I would have thought a year ago. Huh, let me, you know, sit with that for a little bit and feel into it for a little bit. I am a very tactile person. I am very clairsentient. Clairsentience is clear feeling um, that, you know, if you want to give it the psychic sense name. And, and so I feel a lot very, very deeply. And I use that to inform how I am in this world. So if something doesn't feel so good, okay, why is it not feeling so good? What's happened in the lead up to this not feeling so good? And, you know, what do I need to change? And if it is feeling good, it's actually enjoying that feeling. Because so often we're told the shitty things will last forever and make hay while the sun shines. And we're sort of looking for the happiness to be super fleeting and to be robbed from us. And, you know, the, the icky stuff to stick around and get caught around our feet and hold us down. And for me, it is, I guess that was the catalyst and it's been a journey ever since then. And it's, I've just completed that first seven year cycle. Um, which is incredible because when I now look back at who I was back then to who I am now, and I often say it, every cent I have paid on my personal development, and it's been <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars that I've invested in my spiritual growth, my personal growth, my education, all of it to learn more about this human condition every cent has been worth it. And when I see my children changing through osmosis in the way they interact with the world because of the work I've done, it just lights me up and it gives me even more juice to keep going forward with, to get to that next level and to discover what else is there. So there's some, it's two or three, there's actually three Mm. things I want to unpack in there. One is you said my kids change through osmosis because of who I'm Mm. being. Tell me more about the truth that you experience that just by how you are being in the world, the people around you sense it, feel it, react to it, change because of it. Like, how is your being in the world a particular way, whether mm-hmm. it was the old grumpy way or the new cool way? Mm. The being in the world, how does that affect people and why and how do you notice it? And mm. tell me more about that. I still remember uh, my daughter coming up to me. It was shortly after I got together with my new partner and my new partner and I have that kind of twin flame connection. It is, it is just from the second I saw him, I'm like, Oh my God, that's him. And my daughter could feel that. And she'd chosen the road, 
the role as my protector and she slept in my bed for 18 months after divorce and she didn't want to leave my side and she she was being that protector and so this guy comes in three nearly three years after divorce and she's got her nose out of joint because she's like you're taking my role and I'm not bloody happy about it (laughs) (laughs) and she said to me one day you love him more than me and I said oh honey I will never love him more than you I just love him differently the same way that I love you know your brother differently she's like I said but you and your brother will always be the number one thing in my life and she looked at me and she went no we won't be you are and I went, do you know what, honey? That is a beautiful reminder because I am the most important thing in my life. Because the more I can give to myself, the more I can give effortlessly to you. And in that moment, as much as she was trying to be, you know, petulant and, you know, preteen kind of, you know, it was a beautiful, because she, she, she'd gotten the message that I was actually important. And the way I'd lived before that was I was putting myself last. I was self-flagellating, beating myself up for not getting everything right. I was putting everybody else on this pedestal ahead of me and above me, trying to make them happy and to make everything perfect for them and literally killing myself in the process. And so she's seen this woman who's constantly falling on her sword and sliced to bits go from that to being somebody who was able to enter a loving relationship, who was still giving a lot of attention to her children, by the way, (laughs) who was still (laughs) giving a lot of attention to herself and looking after herself. And to be able to model that in at that point, you know, a three year period and have her, regardless of circumstance, notice it and throw it out at me, I was like, oh, I'm doing so well. And just every year I see their growth and development because they're seeing me interact with the world differently. They're seeing me, you know, even when we're driving in the car, people cut me off and I don't go anymore. It's just like, okay, I'll just, sometimes I do, don't get me wrong, but it's a lot less (laughs) because I'm I'm more worried about them. And I say that to the kids, I just want them to get home safely. Whereas before it would have been, I'm worried about my safety and you're doing something that hurts me on the road. Whereas instead I'm like, oh, I just hope they get home to their loved ones because they're driving like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, but it's a different way to look at it and it's a different energy behind it because it's sending them love rather than sending them anger and nastiness. So we're going to get back to that in a minute, sending Mm. love. We keep getting a stack of things. I'm going to go back to the second thing that was in the other piece. (laughs) And that was you talked about that we expect the fleeting. I'll combine two and three. We expect the sunshine to be fleeting and Mm -hmm. we expect the tangle of messes. And you gave some visual language holding us down. I want you to talk about that in terms of does anything really hold us down is happiness really fleeting i know we believe all that because of stories but Mm. i want you to unpack that a little bit about the sunshine and happiness Mm. being fleeting or not and the tangle of cares that seem to hold us down talk about Mm. that a little bit yeah absolutely so the way i i really look at it is physiologically we're designed to look out for threats because you know, when we were first put on planet Earth as human beings back in those tribal days, we all had to look out for threats to keep the collective safe. Now, 
in our modern world, as much as we are relatively safe for the most part, you know, I'm not going to go out the front and get mauled by a bear where I live or a saber-toothed tiger or whatever it is. I have a house. I can go to the shop and get food quite safely. Driving on the road is probably the most dangerous thing we've got, really. <laughs> Let's face it. And But there's not really those same threats, yet we are still psychologically programmed to look for those threats. And when you listen to the messaging of society, we're also psychologically programmed to look for that negative threat, to look for what is um, interrupting our safety patterns. And I understand it from that point of view, because our job is to live to the next day and to do that as many times as we can. <laughs> but I think what we forget is all feelings are fleeting. And again, they've done research that every single emotion can only be held in the body for something like 90 seconds when we feel it. So when I'm feeling anger, I, it might last for 90 seconds and it might morph into something else or happiness will morph into something else. You can't actually have the sustained same intensity of emotion. And I, I talk to clients about if you think of the most devastating grief stricken place you've been to and the happiest place you've ever been to, it wasn't none of neither of them lasted forever. And when clients come in saying, you know, I just want to be happy. I go, well, let's, let's, should we reframe that a little bit? Cause if you're happy all the time, you are manic and we need to get you on medication cause it's not normal. And if someone's happy all the time, I do not trust them cause <laughs> I've seen a few people who put on that. Hi, how are you? Isn't everything wonderful? And it's not real. The realness is about having a full, complete emotional experience on this world. The difference that I have now and the difference I work with my clients towards is even in that tumultuousness of feeling all of those emotions that we are able to feel because we are human, that we have this anchor within us where we know we're safe within ourselves. We know we're going to keep ourselves safe, that we have connections that are strong. I call that our external scaffolding, whether that be relationships with people or professionals who help us. And so it's like this place that we can go to. And I've noticed it even the last 18 months, I've been through three massive dark nights of the soul where I've almost been praying for God to take me home because I'm just like, I don't think I can keep doing this anymore. <laughs> Clearly, I haven't actually, you know, at the time I felt pretty desperate. But even in that, I had this knowingness. I'm like, yeah, I know I've still got work to do. I know I'm still here for a reason. And there was this peace inside me. So I look at creating this little anchor inside ourselves that we can tether ourselves to when things are in that dire, desperate place and where we're still able to fully express and enjoy all of that range of emotion as no matter how tough. So you said, uh, I'm not going to let... I'm not going to take time to take apart each of the things that I'm mm. thinking because we're going to run out of time. <laughs> but I mean, with you even. 
So one mm. of the things you've said that's really true is emotions have a shelf life. The yeah. emotions that we feel are a collection of neurotransmitters, and they get processed mm-hmm. in the bloodstream just like if you used to drink. I used to drink, yeah. and I used to be a wasted, wild-ass drunk. <laughs> but, it, you know, it still processes, you know what I mean? And it takes some yeah. time, and t- neurotransmitters are the same way. So that's why they don't last forever. They have a shelf yeah. life. Emotions have yeah. a shelf life because they're chemistry. The other thing that I loved is the the people that are doing out this happiness fakery. Mm. The, the happiness fakery comes from the, I think, at least partly from the idea that I'm only happy if everything's okay. And you've redefined it and said, no, you're happy because you decided to be happy even in the context of the full range of these emotions. And the experience of the emotion isn't necessarily tied to your happiness. Your happiness is that confidence and that anchor, even in, even with the panoply of emotions playing yeah. out before you, things going the way you wanted and didn't want. So I'm just repeating some things yeah. I thought you said in different words and I would unpack them except for I want to do something else so <laughs> let's go the thing I want to do they want you to do now is you said something about driving and someone cutting you off and that's an example mm. of yeah. anything in the world going not the way you want yeah and you use the phrase sending love mm. okay and in you know Buddhist and other Eastern meditations they talk about sending loving kindness and mm. other sort of woo woo nutcase phrases but the truth is it's real and we're sending something into the vibrational space mm-hmm. we're sending something out of our bodies because the wave out of our minds and spirits because the wavelengths are real and you can even measure them mm. to, we're starting to be able to do that now yeah. what does that mean to send love or loving kindness or something. What, what do you mean when you work with yourself mm. or your clients and talk about that stuff? For me, it's about feeling that feeling in my body. So, you know, before when people had cut me off, I think the initial reaction on both sides is fear. It is fear of, oh my God, I hope they don't hit me. I hope I make it home. I hope they make it home. In the general, that is what we're feeling. What, in the old me, it was the immediate thought was, you're an idiot. <laughs> and that would be the bit that would, you know, I guess, spark out of me. And because I can feel it, it's like I'm pushing, especially when it's an angry emotion, you're pushing it. You know how, and I think if the, if everyone listening tunes into it, when you've been in a room with an angry person, you can feel that emotion peeling off them. And it comes at you almost in waves because it is coming at you in waves. Cause let's face it, it's all energy and vibration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it is. <laughs> but the way that you send that, you know, in the car, I would almost feel it like a, almost a spear going out, like a, <laughs> a little snake going out there of this negativity of you're an idiot. Now it's much more it comes from a different place in my, it comes from my heart and it's, uh, the energy behind even the initial, Oh shit, you know, <laughs> what just happened <laughs> and, and adjusting my speed or breaking whatever I have to do to make sure that I'm not in that one. There's a trust in myself that I can get myself safely out of these situations because I'm, I, it's like the more aware I've become of what's going inside, the more I am aware of actually what's going on outside. And I feel like I have eyes all around me these days because I can feel that energy, those energy waves coming in. 
But when they come in, one, it's like I'm seeing it before it happens. And two, that initial feeling is, yes, that natural fear of, I still want to live till tomorrow. I want you to live till tomorrow. And please get home to your loved ones. Which is a much different vibrational quality. And I can feel the difference. It's like you're, you're sitting in this feeling of love and compassion. And that is what's going out rather than those rolling waves or striking snakes of anger. So, so that's interesting. I, obviously we've tied it, we've, we've used an, as an example, some mm. existential threat, like a traffic thing, mm. but the same, obviously, and I know you teach your clients this is true mm. in any situation or you've been yeah. threatened emotionally or someone says something bad about you or, you know, mm. disses you in some way, you can react from the one place or the other. Yeah. And intentionally making the choice about where you're going to react from is mm. first a matter of decision and second a matter of practice. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you, learn, you, you understand that you have a choice and then you start exercising the choice. Mm. And then and that then choice becomes more more the natural default and i think that's the important bit and that's what i try and nail home to people is it's called a spiritual practice for a reason because yeah. you know those those dark nights of the soul i've been through in the last you know 18 months there were three separate occasions where i was just like god please take me home <laughs> i actually said to him at one point take me home or seriously make me jesus and let me just you know manifest shit out of air because i'm i'm done with this um <laughs> Clearly that was my little inner toddler tantrum happening. But the fact is I got through that so much easier because I, I knew that it was fleeting and I had my practices to draw on. And I also knew which practitioners to call to help shift me through what I was unable to see that actually led me into being in such a deep dark night to help shine some light for me until I could see that light myself and walk with them out. So I want you to uh, now take the opportunity to tell people how to find you, what your work looks like. You have a private thing, you have group things. I know you have a book or two or 10, I don't even know. <laughs> I know you have at least one because I saw it. There's one, yep. Well, yeah, well, I. I, I never, you know, I've got 18, so I, <laughs> yeah, I no, don't, I'm, you know, somebody might I'm have impressed. 10, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, no, it's not about that. So tell me how, yeah. tell the listeners how to find you, what you do, so they yeah. can be like impressed and follow you. <laughs> I am at www.amandakate.com.au, so the .au obviously for Australia, and all of my social links are there. Um, I work in lots of different ways but the most that i still do is one-on-one -on -one. because of the way that i work in terms of unpacking traumas i don't in think that it's responsible for me to do that kind of depth of work in a group scenario and the reason i i've got come to that as much as everyone keeps going you need to do groups and you need to you know because then you can make more money i'm like actually one-on-one -on -one is where i do my best work because if i open up somebody's trauma in a group setting and don't close that energetic 
you know, wrap it up nicely and make sure that that is, um, the loose ends are tied up. They're not going to be very happy when they go out into the real world and, you know, other things that are attracted to that negative energy start to attract it to that negative energy and it builds. And I've had to balance a lot of people who've been at some very famous motivational speakers events where they've opened up all these containers and people come out and they're almost re-traumatized because I've opened it up, but they've not closed it back down. So I still do predominantly one-on-one work apart from being on podcasts, which is where I'm sharing my message more widely at the moment. Um, but everything can be found on my website, all my social links, all of that stuff. And my book is Divine Messy Human, A Spiritual Guide to Prioritizing Internal Truth Over External Influence. And that's on I love that Amazon name, by the Kindle. Way. Thank you. Thank you. I used to always say I was making you a messy human experience less messy. And I had a working title for the book, but it had a really, well, especially for Americans, a very um, naughty word on the cover. Um, so I know you guys have, have seen books with the F word. Mine was actually the C word. Um, that was my working title. Um, <laughs> I call myself a spiritual sailor, but I didn't want to obviously promote it under that. And I, I said to my editor, I just can't get away from that title. And it was because of a message I got in a meditation, by the way. Um, it wasn't just because I chose to be sensationalist and put a rude word on the cover of my book. Um, but I spoke to my editor and I said, I can't, I just cannot um, market it with that title. We just can't go and be that sensationalist. I, I need to, I need the work to speak for itself. I don't want people buying it because of that. And so, um, yeah, I rang her one day after we'd had that initial conversation. I said, we're going to call it messily human because that's what I'd so often talked about in my socials. And in the end, I was like, no, we need the divinity in there. And that's the most important thing. So it became the three words, three sentences. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Amanda Kate. Amanda, you don't go by both first and last name. Nobody does no. that. Nobody calls me <laughs> Kellen Flukiger. Besides that, there's 400 <laughs> syllables in my name anyway. Thank you. Thank you for thank sharing you. your heart with us today. It's my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for the work you're bringing into the world. You are very, very appreciated. All right, everybody. I want you to listen to this at least two or three times. And I really want you to go check Amanda's book out. She has experience, she has wisdom, and she has something to offer you that will help you navigate your traumas, understand your gifts and talents, and do good in the world as you create your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time around. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart in the sky and your feet on